0: This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church Podcast Experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. those of you joining us on Facebook Live, we are so thankful that you are a part of this. Maybe you're on our YouTube channel channel at Dominion Church SC, or I hope that you're joining us on our podcast experience. Uh, for those of you here that are a part of Dominion, I hope you're listening to the podcast experience. That's the way that you can take these messages. If it blesses you, you can listen to it on your mobile device anywhere at any time. And we are, we're available on all major uh, platforms. I think every platform pretty much. So whatever... However you listen to podcast or streaming uh, messages or anything like that, we're there. The Dominion Church Podcast Experience. And then if you would like and share this and leave us a good review, that also helps too because it helps us get in front of more people without even trying really. So that is certainly a blessing. I'm going to take just a little bit of time tonight uh, for some things that have really been stirring in my spirit the last several weeks Uh really since uh, we had Randall Worley with us, which would have been, what the I guess, the Sunday after Easter. And, um, what was that? Oh, the Sunday before Easter, that's correct. Thank you, and, um, and so just, just had a lot of things that I've been chewing on and learning and rediscovering and unlearning, and then almost getting to a place that you can receive this where learning's not even the issue. just about loving, right? Um, I came came across this statement today and the way it came up in my spirit, it it almost just knocked me back. God is more interested in being loved than he is in being known. I thought, well, what what does that mean? And so, and then immediately, verses you got, y'all have heard me preach these verses so many times, it's not even funny. Go straight to 1 John 4. If you don't love, you don't know God because God is love. And then again, that thought, God is more interested in being loved than He is in being known. What what do I mean by that? I don't mean the intimate knowing. The Hebrew word for know is yada. When Adam yada, or knew Eve, she bore a son. I'm not talking about that. That's relational intimacy. That's knowing someone at their best. that's that's where substance is produced i'm talking about god would rather be loved than you know stuff about him and part of why that convicted me was i'm aware that much of my journey has been just trying to understand someone who ultimately is okay with not being understood can you hear me right now to know a god said and done as much as i'm really confident in my ability to know god There is so much more about God that's unknowable than I will ever know. And in those places, I must be content, out of a revelation of being beloved, to just put love in the place of the question mark. Having full confidence and assurance that even though God is capable of answering the question mark, that he may not, and I'll be okay with that. Because love fills the void. Can you hear the voice of your father telling you, I would rather be loved by you than for you to know stuff about me? Wow. I think also that feeds into what we hear from Jesus. He says, come to me with the faith of a child. Come to me as a little child. It doesn't mean childish. It means childlike. And that word childlike, actually, if you go and you study that in the Aramaic understanding, it actually lends itself to this, come to me with a first mind. You know, children have first mind. It's a mind that's not full of seconds and thirds and fourths yet. So we would say trusting or naive. When's the last time you came before the presence of the Father, naive? Then when he says, I got you. That you trust him just because he says he's got you. Just because he's he's God. Right? And you do not reference your experience. You do not reference your history. You do not reference your expectation. You just believe because he said it. Come to me with first mind, with childlike faith. Wow. Wow. And so really, I I believe these next few minutes we're going to have, my expectation is that it's going to serve as a primer for where we're going to go on the other side of Mother's Day. I'm not going to be ministering on Mother's Day. I'm so thankful my lovely wife is going to be ministering and sharing and encouraging on that day. But on the other side of that, uh, my plans, and I use that term loosely, my plans are to begin a series and the title that I just can't let go of, and I know it sounds generic, and I know seriously you couldn't have come up with anything better, but I think I'm just going to call it It's Time to Dance. That's I think that's what I'm going to call it. And it is a series on the Trinity, a series on perichoresis, which I believe will change your life. I really do. Having a revelation that all the activity of who God is is not distanced or separated from you but in fact you're invited to be a part of it all what does that look like and so again my hope is this will be a primary for that this will help you start thinking forward into that direction because in the next few minutes we have the next 10-15 minutes I'm gonna say some very challenging things okay but we need to go ahead and start digesting those challenges for what's next and so when we think about what we believe we must think about kind of where that belief is projected and so we're going to project that belief system onto the father what you believe about God is the most important thing you will ever believe ever what you believe about him is the most important and, I'll, and we'll talk about it here because there, there are so many things built into what we believe about him that bring us freedom or make us that, that can put us in bondage. Do you realize that when I say bondage if you believe that God is vindictive and he is ready to smash you when you when you make a mistake, that actually can put you in a place of bondage where even though you would like to believe that God is love and you'd like to believe that he's a good father, but if you make a mistake, he all of a sudden is unforgiving. He all of a sudden uh, can, at the turn of the hat, be in a very bad mood. Well, then certainly that can affect how we live our lives, how we treat other people, right? And so beliefs have consequences, but the greatest consequence is attached to what we believe about Him, and then by extension, what we believe about ourselves. Now, now you are not God, and He's not you. So, I want to make sure that we draw that line in the sand. But you cannot run from the intimate connection between you and He. You are, after all, made in His image and likeness, right? And so, I, I want to just just talk about a couple things here. Let's. Let's share some of this and jump into this for the next few minutes. Um, the moment Adam, Adam in Genesis, the moment Adam began to misunderstand God, he also began to misunderstand himself. After all, he was created in the same image and likeness of his father. Think about this. The entire world that Adam was introduced to, was born out of love, was born out of generosity, was born out of life itself. Isn't that essentially what the creation account is? It's God breathing out everything. It's amazing. And look at how generous he is. Have you ever thought about how creation is a picture of God's generosity? You know, Think about it. Today, right now, we could live in a world where when we say uh, eat your vegetables, then we have five to choose from in the entire world. That, that's, it could quite literally be that way. But that's not how God is. There, there are vegetables out there that I don't even know how to pronounce. I've never seen. I've, I probably will never have the opportunity to even taste. Uh, I was watching a a documentary a few, uh, several weeks ago, and the kids, one of the kids came in the room, and and they were, uh, I can't remember where they were, somewhere in Central America, and they came across a, is it cacao? A cacao, is it a fruit? I don't know what it is. Anyway, it's this giant, giant thing, and then they start cutting into it, and then they get down to the seed of it, and that's where cocoa is derived, it's from this, and and, and, and my kids are like, the chocolate comes from that? And I'm just as amazed as they are. I'm like, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Who knew? What point am I making? God, he is so generous with variety, so generous with seed. Man, y'all need to hear that. Could you imagine if someone says, what's your favorite fruit? And you only had apples and strawberries to choose from. Now, those are both good. But there's other things that are out there. You guys ever tried something other than an apple or a strawberry? I'm telling you. In my estimation, pineapple's where it's at. I love pineapple. You ever had an amazing banana? Or how about blackberries? Oh, so good. Tomato's the only one I really don't care for. And yes, it is technically. It's a fruit. Yeah, I don't know who came up with that. I think that's perverted, a vile, perverted thing. But... (laughs) It is actually classified as a fruit. That's, the, that's really the only fruit I've probably tried ever that I just, nope, no thanks. Don't, don't want any part of that. It makes me think about the parable of the sower, if you think about it, the parable of the sower. How many of you are like me, when you were growing up, the assumption was, or the, or, or the understanding was, what ground am I? I, I, I want to be good ground, Right? And we want to make sure, I don't want to be ground full of thorns or, 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 or parched ground. I, I, want to, I want to receive the seed that's given. And if we're not careful, it isn't funny how we make the parables about our own egos, about our own ability to receive seed. What about this? you ever thought of this perspective? Have you ever noticed how the sower seems to be extravagantly reckless with how he throws the seed out? He just grabs it and he throws it and he doesn't even, he, no concern where it's even going to land. Why? Because long term he knows the seed has the opportunity to transform the soil. Over time it will start to transform the dirt. Yeah, for, for let's say for a thousand years it was thorns, but a thousand and one, all of a sudden one seed takes root and begins to grow and flourish. What if the whole parable of the sower is less about how you receive the seed and more about your revelation that God is an extravagant sower? What we believe about God has consequences. What do you believe about Him? Because when you start to misunderstand Him, you also start to misunderstand you. Because again, what did I say earlier? Because you are, after all, made in the image and the likeness. Of your father. All things that were made were made in the image, but humanity, it says, was made in both the image and likeness. Adam had never considered that he was naked until he thought wrongly about who God was. He covered himself with fig leaves and covered God with his own false expectations of disappointment and punishment. Listen, before that moment, before Adam and Eve fell, did they have a reference point for God punishing or being mean or being judgmental? Not not one. But as soon as their perspective shifted, they had an expectation that they didn't even have a reference point for. That's something. They expected him to be hard on them without a reference point that he would ever be hard. Isn't that something? So, a lot of times, now, now this is tough right here, and this is something you're going to have to just take and chew on it and let the Holy Spirit help you. A lot of times, what we believe about God is usually not a reflection on him, it's a reflection on us. So, so what, what God do people see when they encounter you? I mean, right here in this moment, we can get in everybody's business right now. Right now. Is your God Republican? Democrat? Is he a warrior? Does he smite his enemies with vengeance? Right? Is he a hippie God? Come on. Is he, come on, does he transcend, you know, existence? I mean, come on, Seriously. Is he an activist? Is he a pacifist? Come on. Is he humble? Is he mighty? Can he be both at the same time? Interesting. So if we're not careful, though, you start to find out where the source of our God, where he comes from. He actually comes from us. Our own own preferences, our own desires, our own focuses. And that's why in one moment, Jesus can be both wonderful and highly offensive. Because Jesus, have you ever noticed this, refuses to fit in the paradigms and in the structures that we try to make him behave in. The religious order of his day wanted to have nothing to do with him. Why? Because in their estimation, he was leading a ragtag minority group of immoral people. Hmm. I mean, that's what the religious said of him. They said, this guy. Oh, you want to find Jesus and his people? You go down to the local bar. That's where they are. Hey, if there's a prostitute nearby, you'll find Jesus and his disciples. Why? Because Jesus understood, this is where my kingdom is most received. Guys, this is tough. I get it. The church of Jesus' day did not have any interest in receiving him. But the people did. So to the activist, Jesus is a pacifist. To the pacifist, Jesus is an activist. Right? To the person that hates politics, it seems that Jesus is highly political. To the person that loves politics, Jesus is a rebel against the established order. To the religious, Jesus is an outcast. To the outcast, he seems kind of religious. You ever notice? It's very interesting. Let's continue. I'm almost done. Is this challenging you so far? <laughs> Adam had no reference point for God being evil, but he also had no reference point for him being good. At least not in the way that we would define it. Adam had a singular, overwhelming understanding of his father. He was life. I may not know anything else, but I know this is where I came from. I came from the Father. If we sampled all of our language, all of our words, and not just in the English language, but in the human language, I can't remember the last time this the statistics were made, but the last time that there was a study of global languages, there are thousands, thousands of, of languages, dialects, subdialects. If we sampled them all, we would still fall short of being able to adequately describe who God is. And and, and again, so maybe who God is is too big of a deal. How about just how much he loves? You can't even describe that. How gracious is he? We don't have the words. So never feel ashamed if you feel like you're falling short, because you're always going to fall short of how you would describe him. On the same token, I love this thought, never be ashamed if you feel like you're exaggerating. Because if none of us have the words to describe him, technically you can't even exaggerate how good he is. Because the words would still fall short. (laughs) So how good is he? What do we do? Well, we must resort to metaphors. Listen, I want you to hear this. Every time you try to explain God to someone else, you use metaphors. Why? Because we don't have the language to be 100% accurate. So we say, well, he's like this. He's like that. And God's perfectly okay with that because he knows we're struggling. And he's just that good. Can you imagine with me for a moment the greatest metaphor you can of just how wonderful God is? What are you thinking right now? Oh, he he is the knight in shining armor. He is when we say words like the king of kings. He's the mighty lion, right? Or he or he maybe you use the metaphors of the spirit, right? He's the spirit. He's like the wind. You can't see him, but you know he's there. And we and we go on and on. And said and done, God's loving it, but He knows that we we still are just getting these small snapshots and glimpses. No matter how extravagant it gets, we still. Don't know. Let me put it this way we talk about the love of God. Just just focusing on this moment. Paul writes something amazing in Romans chapter 8. You've heard these verses before. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 38 and verse 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, is that not beautiful? Is that extravagant? It is, isn't it? But guess what? Still falls short. Still falls short. Now that being said, We focus on that. Well, so I would say based on this, how many of you would agree? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. But then I'm reminded in Colossians 1. Paul wrote Colossians as well. Colossians 1 verse 21. Track with me here because what are we talking about? We're talking about what we believe. What do we believe about him? Colossians 1 verse 21 What does it say here? Let me find it. You were once alienated and hostile in your own minds. He's talking about your relationship with the Father. So nothing can separate you from Him except what you believe about Him. And and what you believe, let me make sure I say it properly, for, for for some of you guys maybe a little legalistic, but also we need to say it properly. Notice that verse doesn't say that you're actually separated, it says you're alienated. And alienation is not done on his part, because Paul has already told us nothing can separate us from his love. But you can alienate yourself. Where does it all happen? You touched the problem right here. And this problem, lest we start thinking I'm talking about an exclusive club that has the corner market on theological truth about God, that is not what is being said here. Now, what do I believe about him? And I want to humbly submit you have to go back to 1 John 4. God is more interested in being loved than he is in being known. Could it be that many of us have alienated ourselves from God while we're simultaneously pursuing trying to know him? When we've made the knowing about information and not relational intimacy. There are times, if I can just make my own confession, where I felt alienated and I've got my doctorate of theology and I'm studying and reading, but I still feel distance. Now, the distance is an illusion. It's impossible to be distanced from God. I mean, it would be the same exercise as trying to distance yourself from the breath in your lungs. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. But the feelings are still there. And then the Father just reminds me, you're trying to replace your love of me with knowing something about me. Listen, I don't mind that you know something. Pursue it. Go after it. Knock yourself out. But never at the expense of loving me. Never allow love to be replaced with a question mark. Now, what does that look like practically? That must be the question we ask, and we must answer that question. What does that look like practically? I believe in our daily experience with people, the only way to ever change and effectively touch someone's heart is not by talking about God. It's about showing them the love of God. Because God is more interested in that than anything else. That they know his love. I'll share this story. It happened to me this week. I was praying for someone in the hospital in a tough situation. And we're getting ready to leave and and i asked i said is there anything else that i can do for you and he said well wish me luck and i said you know what i'll wish you luck but i'm also going to wish you love i said because to know love is to know god and that's what you need in this moment. It's the only thing that can cast out fear. It's the only thing. He is the only one that can, can bring about restoration and recovery in this situation. And, 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 and I, I guess I'm thankful because I felt in that moment, because this has been germinating in my heart, not only did I have confidence that was the right answer, although the word answer doesn't seem appropriate, because it's not even so much about the answer, it's about the solution. We're more answer-driven than we are solution-driven a lot of times. I heard someone say earlier today, have you ever thought that you are the antidote for everything that the world needs? The antidote. Meaning what? That who you carry. More than a vaccine, we're not talking about building up a resistance, we're talking about you you carry the literal cure for everything that humanity suffers from. And if I believe that and I, I understand, let me see if I can communicate the way I want to so desperately. How do I deliver the antidote? <laughs> love is the vessel. It's the delivery system. Right now, no, no matter how great the cure is, you still have to be able to deliver it. So God figured out how to deliver it to us. He delivered it by way of his son who became love incarnate. And he died as one of us, Remember, there there is actually just as much significance on Christmas as there, as there is on Easter. At least there should be. We, we should not need any more proof that God loves us except he became us. He did that on Christmas. Isn't it funny? We, our default is, well, he died for me. Well, what about he became you? I, I, I kind of feel like that's love too right there. So God's delivery system was love to humanity, and it's still our delivery system. And guess what? We don't even have to change the methodology. It's still through Jesus. But what have we done? We have taken Jesus and turned him into a message. And we forgot that God most desperately wants to be loved, even if it means you might figure it out later. So I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you in the same way that I am both encouraged and challenged. Father, teach me how to love as I have been loved. You guys remember the singular law, the better covenant, love others as you yourself have been loved by God. Man, I really feel like a lot of what we're going through in this season are like these duh moments, like, duh, what Where have I been all this time? It's been there all along. And the only thing I can come up with to this point is this the reason we're uncomfortable with love being the solution is because there's automatic risk that comes with it. Automatic risk. Because I feel like if I have a good enough argument, I might get to a place where no one can out-argue about the points that I'm making. And so I can feel secure in the message that I've delivered. But when love's on the table, risk is automatically involved. Because love does not, it doesn't even require reciprocation. I will put my heart on the line. And you know what that means when we say put your heart on the line. It means, hey, they might just stomp all over it. So I get it. I get it. But said and done, I believe, I pray that you feel the same way. I'm to the point where like, Father, I'm willing to risk it if it means that it's real. If said and done, the testimony of my life is, he missed it far more than he ever hit the mark, which is probably going to be the testimony of most of us. But even said and done, he, he just tried to be as real as he knew how. And we watched the pain and we watched the hardship because sometimes that's what love looks like. But when you think about that, please don't, don't have pity on that please, because no, that's where my heart is. I'd rather just be real and be risky about it and just love. And we'll figure out what all that means later. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. Even if later means much later. Even if much later means a different time, a different age, a different dimension. Seriously. Uh, I, I'll, I'll end on this statement. You know, I... I I certainly did not come up with this thought. I've heard it, but I can't tell you right now who said it first because I would attribute it to them. Uh, But there there was talk about forgiveness, and it said some of the most powerful forgiveness that you will ever release is forgiveness that's never asked for and never reciprocated. So when you know you've been taken advantage of and you still say, I forgive, even if said and done, they never acknowledge it, They never desire any type of restoration. And how about this? Even if they don't even think they're wrong, can you still release it? So we're talking about forgiveness now. Talk about love for a minute. Can you do the same thing with love? Can you love someone even if they don't return it or if they don't acknowledge it? I'm not sure what the other option is. I mean, there are other options, but there are none that are fruitful. There are none that are going to bring life. There are none that are going to bring an encounter with he who is love. So, Father, we just thank you right now for this time. Lord, I thank you that these words, I know they've been, they've been tough, but my desire is to just release truth and release this, some perspective on this. This said and done, I don't know how many hours I've devoted to speaking about you, I know it's been a lot. (laughs) I, I started back in the 90s. I know it's been a lot. But Lord, in the times where my satisfaction was in the confidence of what I was saying at the expense of the love relationship, I repent of that. Father, that you've always want to, you've always wanted to be loved. Even if it means the knowing, either it comes later or we're just okay with a question mark. And and guys, I'll, I'll confess, I'm still I'm still working on that. There are times where a question mark, man, that that's highly aggravating. I don't know if I can let that slide. But the Lord gently just says, hey, it's okay. Do you trust me? And so Lord, just help us with that in this journey as we continue to press, as we continue to live as a reflection of who you are, as we continue to bring an authentic encounter with love, love that truly conquers all. And how does it conquer? It's not like a Lord. It's not not a love that lords over people but it's a love that in its conquering it serves it conquers through washing feet it conquers through preferring others what kind of love is this That would lay down its life for its friends Lord, just help us in that and lord in the places where what we believe about you need to be adjusted the truth is said and done only holy spirit can bring the adjustments now, that being said, he can certainly use us, his family, because he lives in us after all. But only the Holy Spirit can ultimately bring that change. And so help us to be gracious and merciful. You know, for some of us, and I just heard this in my spirit a few days ago, and I thought it was so simple and profound. The Lord told me, son, it is just time for you to learn how to be flexible. It's okay. Be flexible. Be merciful. Be gracious. Because you're going to need that in loads. To walk as someone who wants to demonstrate my love well. So Lord, we thank you for that. It, it's, it's all going to be you. It's We're fully aware this isn't about us figuring this out. You've got it figured out. It's about us following your lead as you lead us in the dance. Lord, I just thank you for all these things now decree them by faith in your precious wonderfulness. Thank you so much for joining us on our stream, on Facebook, on YouTube, on our podcast experience. You don't want to miss next week. It's going to be a great Mother's Day. And then we're going to jump into a series, at least for now, I want to call it It's Time to Dance. We'll see if that's what sticks. But I believe we're going to have a great time the next several weeks exploring that, having some of our mentalities challenged, so that, again, we can be a more accurate representation of the one that has captivated us all. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have an amazing week, and we will see you again soon.